millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to Inside F1 with Joe Saywood on Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, an independent Formula One podcast brought to you by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and we have an exciting 10 days of podcasting to come. This Sunday, we have a new show with Chris Stevens and Matt Trumpets. I'll be on the beach. I might even have a drink, but you're in safe hands with those two, probably. On Thursday night, Matt and I join our friends over at sportsbookreview.com, where we look at some of the best bets for the Canadian Grand Prix in a 20-minute preview show. Then, of course, join us on Sunday night after the race on the live stream. We do our race review on the night of the race. Search Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube and subscribe there. But tonight... I'm joined in the shed again by Paddock Goliath, Joe Sayward. Thanks for joining us again, Joe. I'm sorry, but Paddock Goliath is ridiculous. <laughs> I called okay. you a Goliath last time and you accepted it. Okay, well, I'll accept it gracefully again, but uh, I don't feel like a Goliath. I'm only slightly taller than some people. Well, you're certainly more tanned. Was that the Monaco Sun this week, Joe? Yeah, pretty much. Um, it was uh, It was a little bit of uh, uh, Paddock. And it was a little bit of hanging around in a in a villa, which it's cheaper to rent villas than to buy hotels in Monte Carlo. So I tend to go for a week and uh, and hang out in uh, on in the Côte d'Azur, where the weather was nicer than the rest of France. So um, I was there from actually arrived on Saturday, a week before the race meeting, and stayed until yesterday morning. Nice work if you can get it. And many, many more people watch this on the YouTube live stream than normally do. You might have something to do with that, Joe. So I see you've prettied up your background a little bit. I've 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 made it look more like a motor racing place because actually it is a motor racing place. It's my office. Um, and although it's only the corner of a room, I thought that the 
motor racing poster that was on the other wall should be in place of the Provencal uh, painting, which is now facing me. So, um, yeah, it's just to make, you know, make it look a bit more racy, really. Last week, you were telling us how impressed you were with Liberty's kind of putting on a show at Barcelona with zip lines, with the two-seater sports car. Are they able to do that same kind of thing in Monaco? Because obviously facilities are a bit of a premium and it's a bit squashed in there. No, they're not. Um, and there was nothing really very different in Monaco, apart from a few rules um, where people were allowed to do things that weren't previously the case. But they'll be doing it again in, in other places um, and it will get bigger, too. Uh, but Monaco is a very strange case in most uh, in most respects because it is, you know, you're working. Everyone's working in very different conditions. They're all temporary. Um, the the press office, I think, uh, I'm not sure if it's still in a car park. It used to be in a car park, um, but it, you know they put put some floor down. I think it's not anymore. I think it's offices nowadays. But it's in the building. There's a large pink building next to the paddock, and you're on the sort of second floor of that. Um, you can actually see the racetrack. Raskat's corner, although um, you can't see a great deal, but um, it is better than underground car parks. We used to be in an underground car park over the other side of the track, which was a disaster in lots of respects. I mean, that is about 300 years ago, but nonetheless, um, an underground car park is not the world's best press office. It was far more of a traditional feel then. Do you get the feeling then that Liberty's very keen on kind of respecting the traditions of the, the very kind of old tracks, if you like? I think they're going to do a mixture of old and new. I think they recognize the value of the Monzas, the Monacos. Um, I think they'd like to be at the Nürburgring too. Um, but I think they understand the importance of certain circuits. Um, and we'll see how they go. They may not They may not consider Silverstone to be that important, but you know, we'll see how it goes. I don't know at the moment. Oh, surely Silverstone's got to be considered important. Like, I mean, at least we sell it out, well, don't we? It was where the first it was where the first Grand Prix of Formula One took place, but um, it's a very different place to it how it was, um, and it's hard to get to. There's still a big crowd, um, but you know if they've got an option, for example, of being in London, uh, where they can get people coming on the train, you can understand why they might go for that. I, you know, personally, uh, I think they might go for the two different races because you, you get you always get a good. Uh, audience in Britain you know there's never a grandstand with no people sitting in it so I think that's a lot of potential there maybe you can have two if if we're expanding to more races why not it's easy to get to isn't it I feel like you could have five or six in Britain and they'd all get sold out but you make a great point about the transport at Silverstone we've got American patrons in our slack group who are saying well surely you all just go and like yeah I'm an hour away but it would still take me about three hours you know to get through the front gate even even from here because it's a nightmare to park there. There's no train station there. You end up on a very hot, sweaty park and ride bus. Joe, you have to take my word for this. I know you get limousined in or, or helicoptered <laughs> in of late. Um, <laughs> but anyway, back to Monaco a little bit. So, you know, obviously, I know I get the feeling certainly that you enjoy going there of a weekend. So I don't want to don't want to fall out over it. But on telly, it, it seemed like a, you know, a procession. We know Saturday was exciting. But come Sunday to us. It felt like, okay, there was a bit of strategy. There was some racing. There was definitely talking points. But it just, you know, I don't need overtakes to be every five minutes, but you need some. And as far as I counted, I didn't see any on the telly. Well, that's true. There, were, there weren't many on the telly. However, um, I lap chart motor races. This is the paper. lap chart of the Monaco Grand Prix. Is that now, pen and closely, paper, Joe? <laughs> you can actually, hang on, you can see it says Monaco Grand Prix. And this is what it looks like. It's lists of numbers. 
And on this, you, you basically you write them down as they go by each time. And you can mark out overtaking maneuvers. And on this, it says that on lap 33, Perez passed uh, Stroll. Now, that may not be much, but at Monaco, that was quite an achievement. There were further, later on in the race, there were others. It's a little cross which marks when it's an overtaking maneuver. There's codes for everything. There's engine blow-ups. You get a little puff of smoke, for example. Uh, Nico Hulkenberg's engine blew up, and you can probably see... I don't know exactly down there. That's a little puff of smoke. That's some fine camera work and some fine drawing. Um, For the listeners who are audio only, that rustling sound is an ancient form of communications technology Joe is utilising, where he marks dead tree with bits of long extinct dinosaur. It's great to see, Joe. Great to see. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, there's a lot of people who actually look at these things and go, what the hell is that? But... The truth is that when you have a proper lap chart in the old style, you can write a report instantly because you have everything in front of you. You don't need to look anything up. You don't need to do anything. You even have the gaps involved. So it's all there and done. And people have got lazy and forgotten because that's the way people are. But still the best way to do it. I may be the only person still doing it. But one day when I have my online museum, which will be, uh, you know, something that people go blimey what's that you know and you can have all this stuff to look at and you'll know wow sorry it's just reminding me of my my dad who used to have he used to complain that he had to point the newfangled rf remote controls at the telly when the old ones used to just (laughs) work in whatever direction you pointed them but okay so i know you want to defend monaco and i I know it's a great time we had loads of listeners sending videos and and showing us what great views you have and how close you get up to the cars but do you have any sympathy for the majority of fans who are viewing this you know almost exclusively on tv throughout their whole lives yes i do but you have to understand what Monaco is about. And Monaco has always been like this. When they created the race in 1929, the auto car said, this is a ludicrous idea. They'll never be able to do anything there. And that it's always been like that. So the thing about Monaco is that you can have dull races and you can have great races. And sometimes, you know, the idea that Olivier Panis might drive from 13th on the grid and win the race was so ludicrous that nobody even thought it possible. But he did. It happened. And so you have great stories. But what Monaco is really all about is when you go there and you see it and you see what these guys do, you just go, wow. And it is the most impressive thing that you will see in the course of a Formula One season is these guys juggling their machines at ridiculous speeds between walls. Now, okay, to overtake as well is quite hard but when they do it they really deserve it so you know it's a different thing i get it i think the tv coverage is not great of it i think they could do a lot better than they do um but it is it's it's a it's it's an absolutely key race for the whole of formula one in lots of different ways and we should not knock it um because it doesn't deserve to be knocked i mean indianapolis yeah sure you can overtake three times a lap if you want to but after a while that's dull too uh, Othnell in the chat room says, great race if it rains, which is certainly true. We've seen a, a lot more interesting stuff there if it does rain. Um, and here we go. Uh, RJ Bone is saying, Joe, is Monaco ever going to leave the calendar? Who fights the hardest to keep it there? Who is making the most money? And who has the most to lose if the race goes away? I would be interested in, you know, when, to me, it feels like overwhelmingly the fans reject it when you look online, uh, not the people who attend. So who is keeping it there? 
Well, everybody's keeping it there, is the truth. Monaco needs Formula One as much as Formula One needs Monaco. Monaco is a glamorous place because Formula One goes there. Um, you know, otherwise it would just be a rich place, a, a place where re- rich people go to, you know, to pay less tax. So it would be like Montreux in Switzerland, you know, and Montreux in Switzerland has a jazz festival, I think, but it's fundamentally a dull place. So, you know, Monaco is an exciting place because of that. And okay, you know, nowadays, maybe there's a few too many Russians down there or whatever, but um, it is, it's just a certain, uh, there's a lovely line uh, Somerset Maugham wrote in the 20s about Monaco being a, a sunny place for shady people. Um, and, and it's and it's absolutely terrific. Uh, it's, not, it's not as beautiful as it was probably in the 20s, but it's still just a glamorous and exciting place. And as a motor race, driving through those streets, these guys are entirely bonkers. And I think we need to understand just how heroic they are and what they do. Um, and, you know, when somebody's got a little bit squeamish about it, you hear sort of, Terrible things like Lance Stroll's radio call. I can't do anything. My car's in trouble. I haven't got any brakes. I'm going to crash. Well, I I suggest that's what normal people would be saying after about three laps. I suggested that Williams give him a whistle uh, that he should blow and Anthony Davison could appear and help him out anytime (laughs) he's required. Uh, No, we totally understand that. And we understand it's about the spectacle. It's about the event and not necessarily the racing. But if you don't mind, I'd like you to settle an argument we had last night about the race. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, obviously the major talking point of the race was the Ferrari boys and everybody trying to decide if that was a stitch up because quite frankly we've seen Ferrari do this kind of thing before and I was mentioning yesterday that in the past you've kind of had number two drivers at Ferrari that have bought into being number two drivers so perhaps Irvine knew he was number two driver Massa fully expected that if this had been him he would have had his gearbox cracked open and sent five places back to allow Vettel forward you know maybe Barrichello didn't quite buy into it Uh, certainly I don't think anyone's told Kimi Räikkönen he's a number two driver so everyone was waiting with bated breath to see when not if the switch would happen and perhaps how it would happen well I have a when that sort of thing happens this is one of the joys of the information that we have at the circuits, which thankfully not everybody gets because otherwise we'd have no value being there. But Inside F1 um, with Joe Sayward, isn't it? That's exactly. why we're here. Uh, there is data. And as soon as it arrives, which is about 10 minutes after the race, you have the usual sort of uh, journalists from other countries wandering around going, it's disgusting, they stitched him up. And, you know, that's what creates these stories because it's an easy story, isn't it? It's just, oh, look at that, obviously they've stitched him up. Well... When you look at the lap times, and I went through the lap by laps, and very quickly, in about sort of 15 minutes after the race, I was able to say, this is absolute rubbish. What happened is very clear, and it was not really affected by anything to do with traffic. It didn't even matter really about the the, the fact that Raikkonen pitted earlier. He was The Ferrari did that because they were trying to cover, because Bottas had pitted and Verstappen had pitted, and I think they had to decide are we going to cover that just in case they get an advantage? And I think they decided to do that. Now, when, when Kimi pitted, I've got the data in front of me. So when Kimi pit, pitted, he had a lead of 1.1 seconds. Okay. And when Vettel came out after his stop, which was about uh, five laps, six laps later, he was two seconds ahead. So we're talking about 3.1 seconds. 
where did they go? Now, if you look into the figures in the pit lane, Vettel spent half a second less time in the pit lane than Kimi. That's all. And you have a, a point they're timed out, a point they leave, point they arrive. It's not about how long they were staying still. That's it. So there was half a second in that. Now, if you look at the actual lap times, you know, there's a little bit of variation between the two of them. But the key is the in-lap and the out-lap. And going into the pits, Vettel was 1.4 seconds faster than Kimi was. And coming out, he was 0.9 faster. So you add those two up and you add the half a second in the pit lane, and you come up with 2.8. And the gap was 3.1. So there's three-tenths were gained or lost, or gained in effect, yeah. three-tenths over the six laps. In other words, Kimi screwed up by driving too slowly in and too slowly out, and it's his fault. And that's, 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 all you can, that's the only conclusion you can reach. Now, I have every sympathy with that, and I've no doubt that Vettel was faster on race pace on the day. And Vettel is a faster driver overall, so the chat room is coming up with the comments I have some sympathy with. Gary is suggesting that it's the number two that does the covering. Now, well, I don't know if that's no, right. No, the guy, the, guy who is, the guy who is threatened, they wanted to win the race, okay? Yeah. So the guy, normally, normally the leader pit second. But and there was a debate going on at Ferrari as to what to do. But what happened? What would have happened if both the Ferraris they were one point one apart? Remember, what happens if both the Ferraris had been jumped by Verstappen or by Bottas? They would have looked total morons, and therefore they just decided, right, we're going to do this. And obviously, the primary guy you're going to do it with is the guy in the main position, the leader. Right. See, in the past, and you can't they've... do both at the same time, so you have to do one or the other. And what happened is that they just decided it's called, I guess you'd call it splitting the strategy. Yeah. One go one way, one go the other way. And at the end of the day, one of them is going to win and you'll keep Bottas away. Do you have any sympathy for Paul Wright who says Kimi never got a message to push before the stop, which I think Kimi kind of encouraged that rumour in the post-race interviews as well, whereas Sebastian had perhaps more of an overview. In fact, I do remember... Well, I think- if you call pushing being the in-lap... Yeah. yeah. Any driver worth his salt is pushing on the in-lap anyway. Yeah, Gary's saying that he missed the message from Ferrari, apparently. Uh, look... No, no, but it's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. Any racing driver worth his salt is absolutely, absolutely flat out on his in-lap. And Kimi looks like he went to sleep on the in-lap and the out-lap. Well, did he go to sleep? See, my theory yesterday was that he was deliberately going slowly uh, because he had two options. One, does he try and pull away from Vettel to leave enough of a gap to... Uh, you know, get rid of this possibility of being overtaken in the pits, or does he back him up, hoping that Vettel never gets into a comfortable pit window? I.e., he's always going to come out, say, behind Ricciardo. You're reading too much into this one. <laughs> Any racing driver worth his salt doesn't back him, back people up unless he really has to. You know, there is a theory that maybe maybe the Ferrari should have backed up the entire field for the first half of the race. The thing is, they all started with the exception of the two Saubers. Every car started on ultra soft, the softest possible tyres. So they were all on the same strategy. They were all on the same tyres. That's why there was no overtaking, in addition to the fact the cars are wider and the track is, is, is difficult because it's narrow. So, but the fact that there was no, apart from the Saubers, and they were too slow on the harder tyres to make any difference, no. apart from those two, 
there was no way that anybody, because they were all so closely matched, nobody can ma- nobody can pass anybody else. It was only after the first overtaking maneuver that Perez did on lap 33 or whatever it was, the first one of the race apart from Lewis at the start overtaking Van Dorn, um, was based on the fact that Perez had pitted because he'd knocked the nose off against Kvyat, or knocked the nose askew anyway. So he pitted, got a new nose, got new tires, came out, and then, because he had different tires, was able to overtake. And that happened later after the pit stops, because the pit stops were spread over a 10-lap period. And therefore, after that, the drivers had different levels of wear. Now, that didn't really make a huge difference, because 10 laps is not the end of the world. But it did mean that there were some closer battles. And, and we did see... Uh, there was a there was one point at which uh, again it was Kvyat and Perez actually uh, overtook one another and then re overtook the next lap and that was there was a bit of collision going on there too but Ocon was another one he he pulled off an overtaking maneuver um, again you know because it's down the back people don't pay much attention but anybody who pulled off an overtaking maneuver in Monaco on Sunday was was working hard. It feels to me like you can't have a bit of a collision. Feels like that's being a, a bit pregnant you either collide or you don't collide Um, well let's have a look at what jensen button did (laughs) (laughs) jensen button rammed into pascal verlaine upending the sauber and launching into the wall side on which was not very nice um now was that jensen looking seriously at trying to overtake or i don't know i didn't understand what that was all about it was like sort of oh i can't be bothered with this anymore oops i've smashed up the sauber Uh, and i think sauber's view was very much sort of what the hell was he doing um and, you know, the thing is that in a motor race, and uh, they're not there to smash up cars. They're there to get to the finish and score points. So when you get into a situation where you think you might get smashing up your car, you pull back. So, you know, that is another, you can call it a problem if you like, but that's part of racing in the modern era. I mean, a large number of cars uh, up to the midway, middle, midway through, the, through the race before the mechanicals started to hit, there were a lot of people still running. Actually, all but one, I think, were running up until over half the race. And then yeah. they started blowing up and crashing a bit more. But, you know, that's that's what the number of finishers we get nowadays is massive compared to the old days. And, you know, people say the old days were better, blah, blah, blah. They weren't better. Jim Clark used to win by a lap, you know. Um, and yep. Yep. people would change positions, not because they came searing through the pack, um, they used to get positions because everyone else blew up. And this is the tightest pack uh, in qualifying in lap times. This is the tightest pack that Formula One's ever had. I remember watching with my dad and you'd watch the first lap and then he'd go off and make a cup of tea while I waited for engines to blow up. OK, so you've blown all my conspiracy theories out of the water. And while I don't mind being told my wild speculation is wrong, you'll never, ever stop me. Kimi Raikkonen was significantly slower then than Sebastian Vettel. Vettel was asked to go into strap mode five. We assume that's a high number and means going fast. He replied on the radio, I don't need to. So he seemed very, very comfortable behind Kimi Raikkonen. So that kind of does demonstrate that really there's nothing Kimi could have done if there was that much I don't of a- know. I don't know if he, I don't know if he knew uh, whether he, because he also said after the race, he was a bit surprised that he came out ahead of Kimi. So, um, you know, I don't think he can know that except that the really smart drivers when they drive around can also watch race on television because they see the big screens and they go, okay, so Kimmy's there and that takes X amount of seconds to get from there to there. Therefore maybe I'm okay. But it, it, he didn't even do that on this occasion. Uh, you know, he came out and he went, Oh, I'm ahead. And 
that happens. Um, it was a bit like in Spain, there was this magic pit stop um, where where Lewis, I've got to remember what happened now, um, but Lewis basically, who emerged ahead? Lewis did. Uh, and the, the, the magic pit stop was, was very simple because there was a safety car that came out and that slowed down the others significantly. And while they thought they'd got a clear run, they had lost time. And that happens sometimes. The GP2, uh, Formula 2, sorry, race in Monaco was one of those where, you know, it looked like one thing was going to happen. Everyone rushed into the pits at, you know, as to where the safety car came out. And the guys who were in third, fourth and fifth emerged in one, first, second and third completely sort of, oh, where did that come from? And so it's very complicated. It's not easy. This is why strategists in Formula One have mega sized brains um, and can, you know, they do crossword puzzles in 12 seconds, this kind of stuff, you know. Um, so we're talking about, you know, code breakers and these kind of people. You need really clever people. Yeah, they probably do Sudoku without even writing little notes in the side, don't they, Joe? No, I, not even I. I nearly sometimes, you know whatever. Uh, Speaking of Lewis Hamilton then, briefly, on our race review we did on Monday night for the bank holiday, we didn't even really mention Lewis Hamilton. Had he not been second in the championship, I don't think he would have, you know, really featured because after that disastrous Saturday, he's he's fairly anonymous. I think he kept a calm, level head, which is good, which is something we've not always seen. And he realised now wasn't the time to punt who was in front of him wasn't the time to punt signs out of the way coming out of the tunnel. Um, So I think we're seeing him play the long game, which is nice to see. Now, what's interesting about Lewis's race was that, again, if I look at the lap chart, Lewis was running along in about 10th place, and he did the the Vettel, actually he did a longer strategy than Vettel. He did what they call the overcut as opposed to the undercut. And he he ended up in 7th place, so he gained a bunch of places as a result of going longer. So, you know, that's what you have to do. That's what you call damage limitation because there was no way he was going anywhere. If you're in a Mercedes and you can't overtake yeah. cars ahead of you, no, that tells you the situation. Now, why, you know, do we do you try and bulldoze Monte Carlo and change it because the cars can't overtake? No, that's not sensible. Well, hang on. You can't do it. You can't also do it because there are cliffs and things you don't see on telly that you can't, you know, you can't, for example, push back the last corner because on the other side of that barrier which they often ding as they go through there's a tunnel that comes out so there's if they manage to go through that barrier they drop a good 30 feet into a big hole so i feel like that question needs a flow chart so do you want to bulldoze through monte carlo are you sergio perez yes then answer yes you do want to do that every single time uh no no stay sensible stay in line stick with the points you've got uh but obviously lewis hamilton does feel that um mercedes sorry that ferrari are favoring sebastian vettel and i think that is based less on facts and more on the fact that he's kind of hoping his team might favor him though when asked directly he's like oh no no, no, no. I mean, it could go either way. I could have to give way to Bottas. That's not what he's thinking. He's thinking, make me the de facto number one like Ferrari. No, I don't, I don't agree with that. Oh, I good. don't agree with that because uh, a world champion wants to be a world champion who beat everybody. No, you don't want to be to be the number one. Yeah, you declare, you know, you insist upon a number two driver as Michael used to do. No, does that make Michael a better driver? No, it doesn't. It undermines Michael's... Uh, value as a driver a good because point. yeah it, it was you know he basically was fighting against someone with their arm tied behind their back um and you know rubens didn't like that very much uh eddie 
uh, Eddie, Eddie's Eddie. Uh, I bumped into it. I got to tell you a story. I bumped Do into it. Eddie on the on the grid in uh, just before the race, and he, uh, first of all, he was blonde, and so I went, "Oh, I don't recognise you." Uh, uh, but Eddie's a bit wild like that, you know. And and Eddie just started. It was the, the timing was just extraordinary. He decided that he would have a conversation with me about politics. Brexit and Donald Trump. He's not a big fan of Donald Trump, I've got to say. He's not a big fan of Brexit either. But I just thought to myself, as I'm listening to this tirade um, about politics, <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm standing on the grid in Monaco. I've got lots of things to do here. And while I'd love to sit down and have a chat with you, Eddie, about politics, now is perhaps not the moment. But uh, fortunately, somebody rushed up in the end, um, some lovey or something, and decided to kiss him. And I was able to go, see you later. <laughs> And rushed off to do the work I had to do because the grid is really important for reporters. Um, people might say, you know, what are they doing on the grid posing around by the cars? That's true of some of the reporters. I would say that the newspaper reporters really don't need to do that. But they, they go on the grid and pose around by the cars, looking at the tires very studiously and, and it makes them look like experts. <laughs> and it proves to the editors that they're that their reporter was actually there, um, which is, you know, in the past, it has been known for people not to bother to turn up and just recovering from an alcohol poisoning the night before or something. But um, appearing on television means that they can't be denied that they were there. Looking studious gives them some sort of credibility in their own mind. So most of us would know this as walking around the warehouse holding a spanner with intent or a clipboard. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, what I was going to say is that the, the it, it's a great uh, it's a great moment for working reporters because everybody's there, and so you can see the people who've been locked away in the offices and you haven't seen in the course of the weekend. Because there are some weekends when you'll go through an entire weekend and not see people, just because the way it is, modern Formula One on the grid, they want to be there, and therefore you can grab them. So I, uh, I'm, I'm always there on the grid and you'll usually find me talking to a team principal or somebody who's been trying to avoid me all weekend. Or Lindsay Lohan. I, I, I think I would probably recognize her. I probably walked right past her, but there was, I didn't, there were, there were lots of these sort of celebrity types. I'm going, who is that? You know, and, and I haven't got time to worry about it. I don't care. That's the other point. Um, <laughs> and you know, they just look like people who've just turned the wrong corner and are wandering in the wrong place, you know, uh, sort of, oh, look, here's some dizzy looking blondes. I wonder who they are, you know. See, I've got young children who are just getting into pop culture, so I can always say, oh, uh, uh, Miss Grande, do you mind if I get a photo for my daughter? Honest. Click, tag, ad spanners ready. <laughs> uh, but obviously we would. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Talking about Lewis Hamilton and his mindset. So you genuinely think that, you know, he wants to be his teammate and the rest of the competition. But surely, you know, there's going to be a common sense balance that's going to come up. Realistically, we've got to think that Hamilton is going to be the title contender from Mercedes. Do you get any hint that Mercedes is going to budge from their not having a number one policy? Why, why, why would you change it? You know, if, if Valtteri Bottas can, can beat Lewis Hamilton, he's just the biggest star. Um, you know, it's just a matter of sport is about the competition and if you know if you're running a uh, an 800 meter race yeah. and there are two british runners um and one of them sets out and, and is the pacemaker and then drops out does that reflect well on the on the winner does it does it reflect well on the sport no it doesn't yeah but in 800 meters you can't get valtteri bottas to block sebastian vettel in barcelona can you yeah, but I don't think that – I think that's another of these. I mean, motor racing fans love conspiracy theories. Um, and in a way, that's because the press has taught them that there's lots of conspiracy theories going on in Formula One. But it's not always the case. Um, Valtteri was just running his race, and maybe the strategist was thinking this will this will slow down Vettel. But was that really the primary aim not always. One of the things I have learned over all these years is I've learned how to see conspiracy theories. I've learned how to develop them. And I've also learned that nine, nine out of 10 conspiracy theories are rubbish. And then you have the Kennedy assassination. <laughs> oh, we love a conspiracy. Don't ruin it for us. I, I did think that um, Bottas said that in the moment, that felt like his job was to hold up uh, Sebastian Vettel in that situation but that could just be because you know that is an opposing driver therefore it's always your job to defend your position I don't think yeah I don't think that I mean holding up another driver yeah if you're leading the race or you're you know fighting for a position you make your car very wide and uh, why not that's what you're doing so in that particular case yes Botas was doing that but I, was he doing it for Lewis was he doing it for the team no he wasn't he was doing it for Valtteri Botas first and foremost because first of all he doesn't want to get overtaken by anybody and second of all it was in his interest to stay ahead because that would give him you know, much more um, of a better result so I really don't go for that sort of stuff yeah there are times when it's clear you know in Abu Dhabi last year it was very clear that Lewis was bottling everybody up. And you can see what he was doing, and it made sense. But <clears throat> that's what everybody would do at the moment. You know, in that, when you have the world championship up for grabs, that's what you do. He didn't do nasties. He could have, he could have just sort of backed off and, and uh, you know, crashed into Nico Rosberg, which would have been the Michael Schumacher way of solving problems, which is, oh, I'll just take him out. But he didn't. He backed them all up and hoped that somebody else would do it. <laughs> Nearly better. The following is a statement from Missed Apex Podcast. In response to criticism, I would like to issue the following response. Missed Apex Podcast believes wholeheartedly that Top Gun is a movie that can be enjoyed by all peoples, regardless of race, age or gender, 
including girls. Missed Apex podcast would like to apologise to all girls, Paramount Pictures, Don Simpson and Jerry Brockheimer Films for any offence caused. <laughs> so obviously, Joe, little old Missed Apex podcast got a little bit more attention in the last two weeks since you decided to bring your podcasting efforts to the podcasting shed, for which we are very grateful. But I'd love to get some insight into how you deal with the massive amounts of comments you get, even as a popular guy. Uh, you will still attract people who just want to criticize you, who just want to attack you. Does that affect you or has it just been so long that it just washes off your back? It's very simple, really. Ask ask um, pretty much anybody in the Formula One world um, if I'm a calm individual. I, you know, I'm quite lively sometimes, but when it comes to difficult things, I'm generally extremely, extraordinarily, horizontally calm. And the way I look at it is that if you're engaging with the fans, that's that's a good thing because Formula One doesn't do that enough. If you're engaging with a fan who is a, an idiot, um, you can call him an idiot and nobody wins. So you can you can say, I don't agree, which is OK. If he's rude, you can say you're a bleep idiot. But what, what does that achieve? So at the end of the day, I only ever cause I, I correct people. Uh, if I think it's worth correcting them. Uh, if somebody's very rude, I just block them and they can't have comments anymore because the rules of the blog are very simple, which is just behave as though you're talking to somebody face to face. And if you do that, you then have a civilized and educated conversation. That's all I want. I want fans who like being fans not to, because so many of these blogs and and chat rooms and forums and all the rest of it descend into mutual abuse societies. Not that I'm an expert in these matters, but I know they do. And and I'm just not interested in that. So I just stay calm. Um, I, I, I know it appears sometimes that I'm very curt, but as I've explained many times, I have to do so many comments that you get one word because I haven't got time to write a sentence. If I spent three minutes on every comment in a day, it would take me six hours to do it all. And I haven't got time. I've got to earn some money. Exactly. And you're on a completely different level just on the scale of the comments you get. It's very interesting what you say about behaving as if you were face to face, because in the Internet age, you can be very anonymous and you can just say the most awful things and not be pulled up. Now, Reddit is a wonderful hotbed for things like this. And someone drew my attention to the podcast being attacked on a post that somebody had taken the time to write 10 paragraphs on just how terrible the show and me in particular was out of my shed. But then I just came on and said, hi, I'm, I'm Spanners. I do that show, uh, blah, blah, blah. I just this point. Yeah, we try harder here. We do our best here, such and such. Anyway, hope you'll give us another chance. And then he's nice as pie because then he's suddenly got the human interaction and mm. the um, inter- internet kahunas kind of drift away a little bit. So, yeah, uh, I you- mean, it's not it's not mm. cojones. It's cowardice. It's different. Um, <laughs> basically, everyone can everyone can punch a bloke with a with a. Uh, um, if you have a blindfold on, anyone can punch a big bloke and run away, and so the bloke doesn't know who's punched him. But you know, at the end of the day, how how small is that? You know, if you can have a fight with somebody, stand up. I, I hate internet names. I hate these people who have to hide behind a name. Use your own name. Awkward. Said yes. I was going to say spanners <laughs> ready. Use your own name. I'll think about it. For goodness sake, pull yourself together, man. Be a man. You know, stand up. (laughs) In my defense, it's only because I'm leading a double life right now. So if people search me as an engineer on my CV, uh, there we go, Mr. Apex Bingo, you get a point for me mentioning my job. Uh, They don't want to see all this stuff. But when I inevitably become an international media sensation, yes, I will come out and use my real name. But when you started doing this, 
internet trolls must have been much less of a problem. So for you, was it a gradual creep up of this kind of changing of how people reacted to you? Not really. I don't think I even noticed it, to be honest. But um, there's just some people who are, you know, you, you can write that, as you said, you can write the most horrible things. Uh, oddly enough, you'd be amazed how much if uh, there were some things written about me a while ago that were so vicious and so nasty that people actually started to try and track the people down. And they got the person who did it into trouble because you can track a hell of a lot more. Now, you can't necessarily ban them from this and ban them from that, but you can you can have them um, removed from uh, the, for example, the company that uh, hosts their um, means yeah, of yeah. commenting, for example. There's all kinds of things you can do. I don't do any of that because it's, it's, not, it's not really... I don't have time and I don't really care that much. You know, people can say what they like about me. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I don't really react very often because I pretty much know what I am. I know that I've got some weaknesses and I know that I've got some strength. And who cares? You know, if if the rest of the world thinks this or that, who cares? I've been around long enough to know the difference. Well, this is it. That's what I was saying. I'm old enough and ugly enough to take the odd jab. I was just wondering, you know, if it was really difficult at your you know, different at your kind of level, just on scale. But I think the answer is, nah, just ignore it, too busy. No, I mean, the people would write in, in the old days with paper. You know, they'd write letters going, Mr. Such and Such is not a very good reporter. Um, or, or they'd telephone, which is the worst, because then you'd be on the phone forever trying to get rid of them. But, you know, <laughs> the fact is that that if people have got a grudge about something, and, and you know, sometimes they don't need a reason for it, they're going to make a fuss and try to if they want to. So at the end of the day, the, the only times I get really upset about criticism is when it's my own peers who are criticizing me and they say that wasn't a very good job. And then you listen because these are the people and you say, well, what did I do wrong? Um, and then you learn from that. So, you know, when my, my when one of my colleagues and, uh, you know, I'm not saying that all my colleagues are geniuses either because some of them are clearly not. But um, there are people who who come up and say to me yeah you could have done better on that and then you listen because it makes you better and it, it's just part of the process of learning um but if you listen to everybody you go mad and you'd be slitting your wrists every second race yeah okay well speaking okay. of doing better i want to know how you managed to do your gp plus magazine when there was an indycar event on Because you said to me, you never go to parties on the night of a race. But surely this week, there's, you know, it's a week where there's a major sporting event going on. Did you get distracted by the Indianapolis 500? Yes, I did. But there was also, um, for, the, for the people who only have to write 800 words, there was, a, there was a party going on at McLaren. You go down there and you drink some wine and you watch the race and it's fun. Uh, we didn't do that. We sat in the press room and watched the race while churning out copy and creating magazines, which meant that it was slightly slower than normal because you're always going up and looking. And the other thing I was doing, um, which was a sort of had to be done syndrome, um, was just keeping an eye on the race and making notes about it just in case Alonso did come out and win, at which point we then have to we would really have to have a report about it like we did last year when a Rossi won. Uh, we we were changing the magazine 20 seconds before it was published in order to get a picture of Rossi winning the 500 and a story about him doing it. And, and because we were well organized, we had a story with Alex about how to win the Indy 500, which we'd done the week or two before. 
And so we had this great long feature explaining how to do it. And so we just had to put a front end on it. And we had the brilliant story complete with a picture of him drinking the milk at Indianapolis, which was taken off the television. (laughs) Well, there you go, guys. We've uh, got a new conspiracy theory. Uh, Alonso's Honda blew up because Joe couldn't be bothered to write a piece on him winning. So he slipped Honda a few notes to make sure that his Sunday night was more of a party night. Uh, well, the Hondas, the Hondas, there was certain irony that you know, Fernando Alonso went to Indianapolis to avoid Honda engine blow-ups and suffered another one. Yeah. Um, which is, but at the you know at the end of the day, those Hondas were quick as quick as anything. Um, and you know the Andretti team, four of the five or yeah, I mean I, four of the Andretti drivers were really in the fight for the victory of Sato, Alex Rossi. Alonso and and Ryan Hunter Ray and any one of those four could have won it. Um, they different had different problems. Hunter Ray blew up. Alonso blew up. Rossi had a pit lane problem, and in the end, Sato came through to win it. Um, but you know, it was still it was looked like an Andretti win from the very start. Um, and you know, that's great. And the other thing, which obviously took time, is that massive shunt that they had, which was well. Oh, I don't wow. know if you saw it, but yes. that was well impressive. I, I can't, um, oh, that could have so easily gone another way. A few inches here, a few inches there. That. Oh. I mean, they are Indianapolis is is a is a is a wild and wacky race, and and it's again, if you're a fan of motorsport, it's one of those things you just have to do once in your life. Go and see it, because not only are these cars insanely fast, but you haven't lived until you've seen 400,000 people in the same place cheering at the same time. It really is, you know, an extraordinary thing. I am indie curious, I will say that, and seeing the celebrations and the little bit of pomp and circumstance they had with um, Sato at the end. I love the fact that they were doing all this as he was getting out of his car. There wasn't the awkwardness he had with Formula One. They had a set thing. Now here is the bit where this happens. Now this happens with the thing. And then he gets out, kisses the girl, pours milk disgustingly all over his overalls. I do not approve of that. I would not look at him. I would not hug him. I would not do anything until he had gotten changed. That is disgusting. But it has wet my appetite. So from their point of view, to get F1 fans like me who are a bit ignorant of other motorsports perhaps, to get me interested in it next year, big win. Big win for IndyCar. Yeah, I think so. I think it was a big win for Formula One as well because there's, you know, I don't know if, again, people noticed or watched the whole thing, but Max Chilton, who was pretty much and also ran in Formula One, was leading the race for quite a long time um, and looked like a potential winner as well in his Ganassi uh, car. And so you had Rossi, you had Chilton, you had Sato, you had Alonso. What have they all got in common? They're all Formula One drivers. So, you know, this has helped Formula One in America. People know who Alonso is now. But, you know, two weeks ago, nobody knew who Alonso was. Now they do. So So that will help. Do you think Liberty will be a little bit more, uh, a little bit less restrictive in letting drivers compete in other events, you know, like Le Mans? It's not up to them. No, it's not. not up to them. Who's up to the it's teams? Up to the to the teams and the drivers and the contracts that are signed. Now there was a meeting uh, in Monte Carlo which Jean Todd had uh, with a number of different organisers of different championships to discuss calendar integration. Now that's never happened in the past. Um, calendar integration means not having Le Mans on the same day as another big race. You know, sensible stuff. There, there is actually a logic. I know this may sound a bit bizarre, but there is logic in having Monaco and Indy and Coca-Cola 600, which is the second biggest NASCAR race, all on the same day. They are, first of all, they are holiday weekends on both sides of the Atlantic. It is Memorial Day in the States. It's tradition for Indy 500 to be on Memorial Day. 
Monaco is almost always on the Ascension Day weekend. Uh, not always nowadays because they managed to change it a little bit, but generally it is. But what happens with TV audiences is, particularly in the States, is they get up in the morning, they watch the Monaco Grand Prix in the morning while having breakfast. Yeah, it's a full uh, they weekend. Then, they then sit there for, you know, have lunch, eat a few ribs, down a few beers, watch the Indy 500, go yeehaw, and then wait. <laughs> and then the, 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 the world, the world, it used to be called the World 600, it's now called the Coca-Cola 600 in Charlotte, comes on in the evening. So you have a whole day of motor racing. And a lot of fans just sit through the whole thing. So in a way, that's a good thing too. So you can have, you know, it is a super day for racing. And while you say, well, they're all on the same day, what, what logic is that? There is some logic in it. It's good to know. We're running short of time, Joe. I know your time is precious, so I just want to grill your brain about a bit of news. Grill my brain? <laughs> Big Dirty News. Well, in my head, it sounded like it made sense. But when you repeated it back to me, I felt stupid and belittled. Thanks a lot for that, Joe. Uh, okay, well, now I don't want my brain grilled. Now I feel bad. So let's just talk about GP Plus magazine. Uh, it's a subscription only online magazine called GP Plus. I haven't read it yet because I haven't got it past the long haired colonel, but I am working on it. Uh, if you had to lobby the people here with features to attract them to doing it uh, and they had to go in their wife cap in hand and say, I need to read it because Joe has written about X. What would X be? Well, we write about all kinds of stuff, but the reason you want to buy it is that it comes out about six hours after the race, and it costs nothing apart from £29, which everyone can afford £29. Well, per race, that's like, what, £1.10? No, no, it's not per race. That's the whole season. You get you get 24 magazines this year, I think, for, for £29. It's 90 pages. In fact, this year... It was 90 pages, and we decided at the end, at the very last minute, to take out a 10-page feature with Chase Carey and save it for next week because it was getting too big. And sometimes we don't want magazines that are too big because it comes harder to download and all the rest of it. So we just we whipped it out about 10 minutes after the end of the – or before the publication moment. So um, it, it's what's really nice about it is it's a magazine that just happens over a race weekend. Uh, obviously, we do some historical features and things beforehand if there are things that can be done. But there's a lot of really interesting stuff in there. We also try to break news. There's a, there's a great big feature this week in uh, a, a Grand Prix in the Docklands in London, um, which has you know, I've done a bit of investigation into that to see if it's real and proper. And it is. There's a proper idea going on. Whether it'll happen is another matter. But, you know, there is a proper project there. So we have things like that. We have stuff about land speed records sometimes. We have we have a lot of historical stuff. Um, because we believe that people who understand the history of the sport enjoy it more. And so we try to draw people into the history well, also, and, yes. and get them to, you know, get them to appreciate it more. Sorry for talking over you, Joe. I know one of your commenters said that I talk too much. Well, I'd be a terrible podcaster if I never talked at all. Uh, but for a lot of people, they only get to tune in to the Grand Prix, you know, for the race. So to get the context of the whole weekend and the very fact you can put that out so soon after the Grand Prix means that so much of the event happens before the race. So it really is, you know, a way to enrich your Grand Prix weekend experience. It is because it, you know, it, it, it's quite interesting. I'd, I've always wanted to do an article about where people are six hours after the race. You know, where are the drivers? I've never got around to doing it, but uh, where are the team people? Where are the journalists? And quite often the journalists, are, you know, the people who take down all the paddock stuff are still there and the journalists are still there. But other people are home. Um, I was I was 
conversing with Sean Bratches, the commercial head of Formula One, and he was home um, and just and he was amazed by this magazine just turning up going, how on earth did you do that? You know, and and that's what we like to do because we are we have a catch line, which is all about the passion. And the people who do Grand Prix Passion are passionate about Formula One in a, in a ludicrous sense. And we like sharing it. So that's why you should buy it. Because if you think that Formula One's boring or whatever, just read it and see. And you'll find it's never boring. Well, there you go, listeners. You've got a choice between informed facts for a very, very small price. But I will say you have to use your own eyes to read it. Not in competition, Joe, but we speak our wild speculation out loud for free. So, you know, you pay your money, you take your choice. But Joe, speaking about paying money, uh, people who have paid money, I just want to quickly go through, you know, some of the rookies because Stroll didn't do himself uh, any favours. But more importantly, Palmer, who was unable to score even, you know, even in a race where perhaps the, the points were there begging, is his future under threat? Well, yeah, apart from the fact that if you look at the lap chart, I think Palmer did score, actually. <laughs> oh, that, you and your old-age technology, I'm Joe, that's not fair. I'm you... about this, but, uh, oh, no, that's the Spanish Grand Prix. I got the wrong one. But um, I think you'll find that Palmer did score a point, but never mind. Um, he, he's had a very unlucky and unfortunate season, and I think he deserves a little bit better. He's had engines go. He had one go in Monte Carlo as well uh, at bad times. but. No, he's got to deliver. And I asked the question because there's lots of rumors about is he going to get thrown out and Sirotkin, the Russian, with loads of money behind me, come in. And so I went up to team boss um, Cyril Abit Bull on the grid and I said, are you going to fire Palmer? It's easy. It's much easier. Yeah. So just go and ask. And he said, not immediately, which is, you oh. know. No, no, that, which is, he said, he's got to deliver. Uh, but I have to deliver. Everybody has to deliver. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. And that's, in other words, I'm not firing him next week, which is the answer I wanted to hear. But the fact is, he's right. Everybody's got to deliver. Formula One is about the delivery of results. And the rest of it doesn't matter one bit. So from the outside, that's quite interesting. Even with the fee he's paying for his race seats, he is still under threat with performance. Of course. Of course, you've got to deliver. And let, I mean, there's a, there's a point at which you bring so much money, you don't have to deliver the Maldonado factor, that is. Um, and that may be the case with Stroll. You know, there's a massive, massive budget coming into Williams as a result of Stroll being there. Now, will he ever get fired? I don't know. But he needs to up his game. He knows he needs to up his game. You know, it's not, it's not rocket science to tell these people. Um, but he does. Everybody in Formula One needs to be good enough and if they're not good enough you're hurting the team in another way so even if you bring money you're, you're driving away money if you're not getting results this is what i wanted to ask you see at williams have you got rumblings is there somebody with an abacus who's doing you know 35 million on one side and then crash damage and loss in championship there is prize no money? abacus that will work out that lance stroll is not a good deal at the moment so he is a good deal in your opinion joe well, it, it is if you look at it from a from a financial point of view. If you look at it from a racing point of view, no, it's not a good deal. Yeah. But you've got to also remember this is this is a new guy. He's learning. Lots of new guys have bad years. Kimi Raikkonen's first year was pretty dismal. Felipe Massa's first year was so dismal that they actually parked him in the second year. You may recall he went to a test driver role. So you have to give the guys a bit of time to learn how to do it. The other thing is, of course, with testing as restricted as it is. Um, now, Stroll had a, his own testing program last year, uh, which helped him a lot, obviously. But they don't get to test as much as they 
they used to. The days when Jacques Villeneuve could arrive in Formula One with humongous amounts of testing behind him um, made made a um, made a very big difference on his ability to perform. So I, I think also jumping straight from Formula Three, unless you are yeah. a, a really remarkable talent, um, is a very tough thing to do. So Steve in the chat room saying, uh, firstly, hi Joe. Hello. Uh, he's saying he wants to defend Stroll a little bit and says that Paddy Lowe says that they thought Stroll had debris in one of his brake ducts, which caused his issues. So his crying on the radio wasn't all his fault, of course. And actually, Paddy Lowe hasn't been in a hurry to defend him. So I'm sort of moved to believe him in this case. I don't know about that. But, um, you know, the fact is that I don't think Lance Stroll gave up. But if you look at, you know, what happened to Ericsson, for example, which looked silly on the telly, didn't it? It goes around did a, corner a bit, and Joe. And drives into the wall. Well, the fact is that behind safety cars, all kinds of electronic gathering things, electrical power gathering things don't work properly. And, and you have all kinds of problems that are not immediately obvious. Um, and then when you go racing again, and I think Stroll actually said it, you know, when I, when I go racing again, I'm going to crash. And, and that was... Uh, I can understand that because you look at the comments of everybody. They yeah. all say how difficult it was after the safety car because they don't have the braking up to the necessary levels and all the rest of it. The time was like six seconds slower. And I think it's clear that getting into the window with these tires is a bit more complicated. But, you know, when you've got a bit of a reputation for not being great and people are having to defend you, crashing overtaking the safety car obviously doesn't help. No, it doesn't help, you know, but that's just, you know. I still think that this current generation of Formula One drivers is... Uh, in average terms, they are the highest quality of, of drivers that we've ever had. No, I, I see that. And chat room, that is very naughty. Stroll didn't give up. He had to pit because he couldn't see the track through his tears. I'm not endorsing that. That is a chat room comment. That's nothing to do with me you at all. You can't take these people anywhere, can you? Honestly. No, I know. You embarrassed me in front of Joe Saywood, you know, a titan of F1 journalism. How dare you, chat room? We'll talk later. We'll talk later. You'll still get your sweets. Don't worry. Okay, look. Uh, comment of the week, Joe, was in our chat room. Comment of the week. We take away with one hand, we give the with the other. Uh, Baja in there just says, just wanted to say, Spanners, you're doing a great job getting top-notch talent on the show. Not bad for a Watson missing his homes. Now, that might sound like a compliment, Joe. It's actually an insult because Matt PT, you have not met Matt Trumpets yet. Uh, Matt no. normally is, uh, I rely on him for genuine F1 knowledge and smarts. Uh, I've had to wing it on my own because he's on an American time frame. But we will try and get Matt to come and join us on Inside F1 with Joe Saywood as well. But well done, Baha. You get comment of the week. And I forgive you for the horrible things you said yesterday. Joe, thank you so much for joining me in the podcasting shed. Hope to get you uh, back on at some point after Canada as well. Uh, what's your handle on Twitter? Uh, it's Joe Sayward, funnily enough, but nobody can ever spell that. So there you are. Um, but uh, you can, you can. It's really easy actually. Just if you go to Google, there's a thing called Google Joe and F1. You can do that with an with an with an and sign between them. And oddly enough, amazingly, I come up top of the list. So you can just click on that. I always have you know the blog is Joe Blogs F1, and if you can't remember that, you know. Yeah, you don't deserve to read it, to be honest. <laughs> and uh, some people struggle to subscribe to blogs, but actually there's a very, very easy way. Go to make any comment on Joe's blog, and then you can just do a tick box before you leave your comment where you can get notified of future blog posts, and it just pops straight up in your email, and you can get involved in the chat. I actually like the chat room on well, your it's blog. Easy, it's even easier than that, because on the screen, when you when you go to the blog, there's a little thing in in the lower right-hand side. It says, click here if you want to be... Uh, notified about it so 
Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's different in other places in the world, but that's that's uh, fairly simple, and there's a large number of people who do it. So, well, there you go. Thank you very much for that. Make sure you do check out JoeBlogsF1.com. It's all right. Yeah, yeah, that works. Some people like Obviously, to type it in. Obviously, Blogs has one G, not two. You know, so. <laughs> so it's not quite the pun that you. Well, it is a pun intended. because it's a verbal thing. But yes, spelled out, it doesn't quite work. But there you are. Just saying, most people read it. That's all I'm saying, Joe. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, we'd love you to come and join us on YouTube. Find Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube and subscribe. That way, you'll get a notification when we go live. Why not follow me at Spanners Ready? If you enjoy the podcast and you'd like to support the show and you have any money left after subscribing to GP Plus magazine, uh, why don't you support us? You can give us real money by going to patreon.com and searching for Missed Apex Podcast or going to mistapexpodcast.com and clicking the Patreon tab from the menu. We also appreciate that if you don't want to give us any money, just tell everyone. Tell everyone that Missed Apex Podcast adds to your F1 fandom. So follow me at Spanners Ready on Twitter and stay tuned to our feed for Tech Time, Wafflecast and the Canadian Grand Prix preview. Until then, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars and glory lasts forever. This was Inside F1. Heartbreak Ridge in the chat room says, is this going to be a regular thing? What do you reckon? No, why not? I I don't see any reason why not. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.